Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. My name is Mike Jones. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to see you guys today. We are in a series titled Real Man, Only Savior, and it's a a study through the book of Luke. This, uh, we've gone through three sermons so far. Uh, If we, uh, you remember back a couple weeks ago, I shared with you how Luke's primary purpose was to show the Greeks that he and Paul encountered on their missionary journeys, Greeks that were very factual, very uh, detailed and scientific uh, in their thinking. He wanted to show them that Jesus was in fact a real man. This made Jesus different than the Greek gods that that were myths that lived on Olympus and had their own weird issues, right? He wanted to show these Greeks that Jesus was much different than that and that he was a real man. He showed them a lot of secondary details that they could go and verify. And by verifying those secondary details, then those primary details concerning Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection could also be verified. And then we talked about how uh, Jesus... Go ahead and show us those guys. There we go. We should talk about how Jesus was the revelation of God, and he was uh, one of the hallmarks of Jesus' life and ministry was his compassion for people. That was a very challenging sermon to me per- personally. Last week, we showed how he was very relatable, how he could get, get along with just about anybody. He could get along with notorious sinners like Zacchaeus or even with religious Pharisees, um, and that endeared him to people, and it allowed him to seek and to save those who were lost. Remember, that was why he came. He said in Luke 19.10, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And he couldn't save them if he didn't seek them. And when he found them, he had to build a relationship with them, even if it was a temporary one, in order to save them. And that is very true for us as well. As we are uh, Christ's representatives in this world, we go, we, we seek the lost, and we share the gospel with them which is a whole lot easier when we have some sort of uh, relationship with them. Today I want to talk to you about uh, Jesus and him being reliant on the Spirit. We don't often think that Jesus would need to be reliant on the Spirit. After all, he was uh, God in a bod. Uh, But as you'll see in my midweek devotion this week, which comes out on Wednesdays, I will show you why in greater detail why he was reliant on the Spirit. But as I started to prepare for Uh, this sermon, I thought, you know, when do I need to rely on the Holy Spirit? Well, usually it's when God is asking me to do something that's beyond my natural resources, you know, beyond my own skill or my my own talent level. Henry Blackaby once asked, will God ever ask you to do something you are not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. But if we function according to his power working within us, God gets the glory because he wants to reveal himself to a watching world. You know, God has called me into several places, places that, were, that are kind of uncomfortable for me, places that stretch me, places that are beyond my training or beyond what I am able to do in my own natural charisma. And, you know, I, and I, I move forward anyway in obedience. And when I get there, usually my prayer is, Lord, I really don't know what else to do. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the resources to make this happen. 
I'm completely reliant on your help. That's usually how my prayers go. It seems like every day I'm praying something like that. And you know what? I hate feeling like that. I hate feeling dependent on somebody else to make something happen. And yet, that's exactly where God wants me, completely relying on him. Because then if anything good happens, just as Henry Blackaby said, God gets the glory and not me. What about you? When do you have to rely on the Holy Spirit? I bet you've had similar experiences to mine where God has called you into something that's out of your comfort zone, something beyond your, your talent level, and you're stepping out in faith, and you're like, a little like Peter, walking on that water, and you are a little nervous about the whole thing. God, that's exactly where God wants you. You know, another time that you and I have to rely on the Holy Spirit is when we face temptation. About temptation, someone once said, you know, opportunity knocks only once, but temptation tends to lean on the doorbell. <laughs> That's true. There's some truth on that in that statement. And you know, while most people would like to be delivered from temptation, there's a whole lot of people with, that would like to keep in touch, right? There's a whole lot of people. They want to be generally delivered, but they want to be able to see it kind of over there, okay? And I think that there's some truth in that as well. The Apostle James taught us that to be tempted is not sin, but that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You know, if we're going to stop temptation before it can give birth to sin in our lives, then we will need the Holy Spirit's help in doing so. He helps us change those desires and give us the strength to cling to what is good and abstain from what is evil. I really like that picture. I thought that that was a good picture of temptation, right? Oh, man. You've been there. Oof. You know, it might surprise you to learn that Jesus experienced both of these situations. He uh, had to rely on the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission that God had given him and to also overcome temptation. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus' life as recorded in the book of Luke. Now, Luke emphasized the Holy Spirit all throughout his gospel. And it's really not a surprise that he would do so, uh, being the author of Acts and how that is such a prominent theme in the, in the early church. Um, but even in the first four chapters alone, I found 10 references to the Holy Spirit moving in and working through people's lives. I found it actually quite fascinating. This morning, I want to just look at two of those instances that rely, uh, relate specifically to Jesus. So if you have a Bible uh, with you, turn to Luke chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. And uh, we're reading from the New Living Translation. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, a printed copy, there's some right on our guest table. Please help yourself. Grab one. Keep it as a gift from Cornerstone Church. If you're looking on your phone, uh, Bible Gateway is a really great, great place to, uh, to look up scriptures um, you can do that as well. So I'm reading in a New Living Translation, starting in verse 16. Uh, it says, John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So in these verses we find 
uh, a contrast between two types of baptisms, one with water and, and one with fire. We're going to focus primarily on the one with water as it relates to Jesus, but just a quick word about the, the baptism of fire, which Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This was uh, first fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when the, uh, the apostles and the disciples were gathered in the upper room and they were praying and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus told them uh, to do. And we see them begin to speak in tongues and flames of fire rested above their head. And so that's that baptism of fire that, that Jesus is talking about. Now specifically, if we look at water baptism, John's baptism symbolized a person's repentance from sinful, a sinful and selfish uh, lifestyle. There were all sorts of people coming to be baptized by John, centurions and, and, and all sorts of just people living in the area. They would come and because they wanted to experience this, this sense of forgiveness, this sense of rightness with, with the Lord. And so uh, it was a symbol that they had a desire to do God's will. Now, water baptism is still a symbol of that today, but following Jesus' death and resurrection, it gained an additional meaning in that it is a, a picture uh, of uh, a person's old life being done away with. When someone comes and makes a, a, a con they confess that Jesus is Lord, they believe in their heart, and they are saved, as Romans uh, 10 tells us, and they come and they're water baptized. Going under the water symbolizes that old way of living being done. That old mode of living, the way I used to relate, the way I used to think and live life, that is done, buried with Christ. And when they come up, I have this new life, this fresh start. It's, it's quite a, a moment of time in, in, in a person's life. It, it, it can be. It can be a very powerful time because of the going under the water, leaving that life there, coming up with a newness. And so this is uh, water baptism as we know it today. And so my first question for you is, have you been water baptized? If yes, where were you when that occurred? Do you, how many of you remember where you were when you were water baptized? I do. I don't remember. It's getting a little fuzzy as I get older here. Uh, but I, rem I must have been like 12. I think I was 12. I was in the Gospel Tabernacle, a little church in Muskegon, Michigan. And, and I believe my pastor, Pastor Mike McCormick, uh, baptized me there. You know, and I had a, an awareness of, of who Christ was. I know I had made that confession. But I, I think for me personally, it was probably a little bit before I, I considered myself when I was about 16, I considered, like, this is my faith, you know, my faith. And here at Cornerstone, I'm not against baptizing children, or not, yeah, children, you know, young preteens, you know, teens and that nature. I just want to make sure that people are old enough to actually realize what it is they're doing, because I think when they do that, it is more powerful and more personal, right? And so if you have not been baptized and you are a professing follower of Jesus, then I would encourage you to follow the Lord's command to be water baptized. Um, water baptism doesn't save you. Okay, there are a few people that teach that, which is, that's a false teaching. It doesn't save you. Only faith in Christ saves you. But water baptism is an important step in your faith and one that I recommend you take as soon as possible. We have one scheduled in November. So if you're interested in participating, just let me know and we'll make arrangements. But don't worry, uh, our baptism is not going to be like an Eskimo baptism, okay? <laughs> Bap church baptisms are notorious for being absolutely frigid, right? You step in and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to be saved this much. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to endure that cold water. We actually have a heater in our baptism tank. It's like a, like a hot tub back there. Dwayne warms it up. It takes like a day, don't it? It takes like a day to get, get warm. So don't worry, if you want to be water baptized, it won't be like that. But let's go back. Okay, so look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and, the voice, and a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly, uh, beloved, dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. So we see here that even Jesus was baptized in water at the Jordan River. Now, I've actually been there. Has anybody else been to Israel and seen that? There's a, I think there might be a couple places, but I specifically remember when I visited uh, a few years back something that I might have even been in that exact spot. And so being baptized in the Jordan River is a, a big thing for some people, and, and so they, they wait and, and do that, all right? And well, Jesus was water baptized as well. Now, why? Why was he water baptized? Did he need to be cleansed of sin? No. The scriptures we, uh, we, we see tell us that Jesus never sinned. So what was he trying to accomplish? Well, Jesus was water baptized because he wanted to be an example to us in all things. He was identifying with us as ones who actually need to be water baptized, and at the same time foreshadowing his death and his resurrection, which was the real way that God uh, planned on cleansing us of sin. So after Jesus emerged from the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit descended on him, and so this was for him symbolic of at the start of his public ministry, he was stepping out of being a carpenter, out of being Mary's son, and into, now I'm going to move forward with this plan for, for my life as the Messiah, right? And so look at verse 23. You can see proof of that. The very next verse in verse 23 tells you that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. So this was a, a, a clear and definitive point in his life, uh, just as water baptism for us is, except it just had a little bit different meaning for him. Now, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, him being, the Holy Spirit descending on him is the part we want to focus on. So go to Luke 4, verse 1. We're going to skip over this whole genealogy section. Look at uh, what it says next. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Okay, so this is the part I want us to focus on. We read in verse 1 that Jesus was full of the Spirit before he started his public ministry. And then in Luke 24, verse 49, you will read that Jesus told his disciples not to start their public ministries until they had been filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And so when I was studying this out, I paused and I said, well, what does this mean for you and I? Well, I think when we're getting ready for something, uh, when you are getting ready for something, especially some sort of ministry, do you seek the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Do you take time before you actually start that small group, start the, that ministry, participating in that place? I don't care if you're in the nursery, you're greeting, you're with the youth or the children or on this stage or in that cage, or you're uh, out doing local outreach before you start some sort of ministry. Are you in recruiting the Holy Spirit's involvement in that? Because if you're not, it's kind of like sitting 
in the, 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 the fastest car in the world, but having no gas in the tank. You can have, we can have as a church, all of the, 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 the best tools. And we have a lot of tools. I was actually thinking about this. We have some really great tools. As Taylor mentioned, we just brought on Pushpay to build our app. They are the number one app developer for churches in the world. Okay, we are, We've got from the curriculum our youth and children use to the soundboard to these lights and things that we buy, the things that we are investing in as a church are high quality. They are very, very good tools. And yet we can have all these wonderful tools. But if we don't have the Spirit, we have nothing. We have nothing. You can sit in a Bugatti, have the keys, and be ready to go with your gloves on. But if you ain't got no gas in the tank, you're not going anywhere. And that's exactly how it is in in, uh, ministry. In serving in Jesus' name, it doesn't have to be a formal thing at the church. If you're doing something in, in the Lord's name and for his kingdom, and you don't have the spirit, you're not going to see a whole lot of results. Can you say amen? amen? So we need, you need, I need the Holy Spirit. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about this prayer group uh, that uh, John Wilson is just started up a couple of weeks ago. If you are not helping set up and, and doing things prior to church, I want to encourage you to come a few minutes early. It starts at 9.20, goes to 9.40. Come and pray and be a part of those in this congregation that are inviting the Holy Spirit in because we can play a flawless worship service. I could preach a, my guts out up here, but if the Holy Spirit is not in it, there's not going to be any fruit. What did Paul say? One plants, another waters, but the Spirit gives the increase. And doggone it, I want to see some increase. And I know you do too. In the annual congregation survey, that's one of the things that comes up all the time is that we want to see growth. We want to see this. We want to see that. Well, it ain't coming unless we invite the Holy Spirit and let Him fuel our mission. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, notice after that, look at back at 4.1. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. Okay? Before Jesus started his public ministry, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Now, naturally, this seems counterintuitive. Because if you look at the Judean wilderness, I don't see a whole lot of people out there. Right? There wasn't anybody to minister to out in the Judean wilderness, and yet that is exactly where the Holy Spirit led him. And so this doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? A lot of things that God does don't make a lot of sense. Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So the fact that Luke said that the Spirit led Jesus into this wilderness indicates to me that this was a part of God's plan for Jesus' life. This wasn't a a fluke thing. This wasn't a detour. This wasn't some sort of hindrance. It wasn't even what we might consider a spiritual low. We look at things in our lives as highs and lows. I don't think it was that way. I think it was just part of the plan. It was just as much a part of the plan for Jesus' life as the Jordan River experience was where he had the Holy Spirit come to send in bodily form. He heard the Father's voice. We would look at that naturally and think, 
man, that sounds like a good day to me, right? And that looks like a bad day to me. We would look at good and bad, but in Jesus's case, it wasn't good nor bad. It was just part of the plan. And so he went. He followed the Spirit in to the wilderness. And as I thought of it, I go, you know, I don't know if Jesus knew what was about to happen. He might have, but I don't know if he did. It doesn't say. But he still went and he endured 40 days of fasting and tempting from the devil himself, right? I can barely fast for a day without going crazy, right? How many of you are like that? You skip lunch and you're like the guy in the Snickers commercial, you know, where you just don't feel yourself, you know, and you need, you need something to eat. I mean, Jesus fasted for 40 days and on top of that, he was tempted by the devil. I mean, that ta- sounds like a very difficult month and a half, if you ask me. That sounds, I mean, a month and a half, that's a long time to not eat and to have the devil tempt you. We think we're doing good if we overcome temptation for five minutes, right? (laughs) Jesus endured temptation for 40 days, all right? So what does this mean for you? I thought about this for a second, and I thought, you know what? There are going to be times where the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit leads you to places that you, it doesn't make sense to you. He's going to lead you to places that do not make sense to you, and he's going to make you stay there longer than you really want to, and it's going to be harder than you ever expected it to be, and you're going to hate it. You will. And you're going to wonder, how in the world could something like this be a part of God's plan for my life? We sing that song, Oh, He's a Good, Good Father. Not one of my favorite songs, by the way, but we sing it once in a while, right? And we think, how could this wilderness be part of a good, good father's plan? And yet it is. The wilderness is never a fun season to be in. Never a fun season to be in something like that, right? It's lonely. It's dry. It's boring. It feels fruitless, right? Have you ever had a season like that? Yeah, that's a rough Rough place to be, and you probably are there, and you're thinking, man, how could God be in something like this? But I want you to pay attention to something. Look, look, number one, then Jesus, full of the Spirit. Look at the bookends, verse one. He's full of the Spirit. Go to verse 14. This is after the 40 days. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Spirit's power. So we see on the bookends, he's experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What makes us think that the Holy Spirit left him? We naturally think, oh, he's there at these highs, but he's not in the wilderness. That is not true. The Holy Spirit is with you when you're in a wilderness season, just as much as he's with you when you hear the Father's voice so clearly, you sense his presence, you're walking, and you feel like, oh my goodness, we're getting it done. He's with you then is just as much as he's with you in those experiences as well. And so you might start and end a, a, a wilderness season, feel his presence, but I don't want you to, uh, for a moment, doubt that he's not with you during those seasons when he even sees, seems silent. I can tell you right now, if there's ever a time we needed to rely on the Holy Spirit, it was when we're hungry, tired, tempted, lonely, or bored. That's when we need to rely on the Holy Spirit the most. So Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit to get through the wilderness and to overcome temptation, and you and I must do 
that exact thing if we're going to move forward and accomplish God's plan for our lives. Speaking of moving forward, I'd like to close our time uh, thinking about something that Pope Francis said in regards to the Holy Spirit. You know, I was looking up uh, a number of quotes about the Holy Spirit just as I was filling in things uh, for my sermon. I came across this, and to be honest, I was surprised. I was like, this is the Pope. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And this was the very best quote I found. And he said, to put it simply, the Holy Spirit bothers us. Because he moves us. He makes us walk. He pushes the church to go forward. And we are like Peter at the transfiguration. Ah, how wonderful it is to be here like this all together. We just want to stay in, the, in God's presence. But don't bother us. We want the Holy Spirit to doze off. We want to domesticate the Holy Spirit, he says. And that's no good. Because he is God. He is that wind which comes and goes and you don't know where. He is the power of God. He is the one who gives us consolation and strength to move forward. But to move forward. And this bothers us because it's so much nicer to be comfortable. And I thought the Pope had some really good words to say. I appreciated that. You know, it would uh, have been natural for Jesus to stay at the Jordan River. It was a good day, right? To bask in the glow of the Holy Spirit's presence and the approval of God the Father. But he didn't do this. He moved forward whenever and wherever the Holy Spirit led him. And all throughout his life, whether it was in the wilderness, overcoming temptation, or all throughout just the different things he faced, he relied on the Holy Spirit every step of the way. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us into places uh, we don't want to go. Just like he led Jesus to Calvary, right? I can't imagine in the natural Jesus wanting to go through that. And yet he went through He never resisted the Holy Spirit's prompting to move forward God's plan. He always chose calling over comfort and relied on the Holy Spirit to help him fulfill that calling. You know, naturally we struggle uh, this because we like to be comfortable, just as the Pope said. Naturally, we put a filter on where we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, right? We put this filter on and he says, you know, I want you to go over there. You'll move, I don't think so. You know, I know that, you know, that doesn't look up and to the right. That doesn't look like that's a forward step. That looks almost like a step back. I don't think I'll go there. You know, we try to avoid those wilderness experiences. We try to avoid those times of testing because the wilderness isn't fun. It's boring. Why would the Holy Spirit, we don't want to go anywhere that's boring. In times of testing, that just sounds stressful. You know, I don't want to do that today. You know, we tend to avoid those types of experiences because we, we don't want to rely on anybody else. We don't want to rely on the Holy Spirit. When things are comfortable, we can get by on our own strength, our own talents, our own resources. But I want you to know that your comfort, my comfort, is not God's primary concern. Our comfort is not God's primary concern. He's most concerned about the development of our character and the advancement of his kingdom. And sometimes his Holy Spirit, to accomplish those things, he will lead us into places, wilderness experiences, times of testing, places that we just generally don't want to go. But I'm challenging each one of us today, especially if you're facing that right now, and you know the Holy Spirit is leading, and you're kind of resisting that, I want you to break down those walls and to go wherever he calls you to go. 
and rely on him just as Jesus did. Because if you do that, I'm confident that you will come through the other side of that full of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Stand with me this morning. Let's close our time together with prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Lord. Father, I just pray over uh, every person that is here today. God, I pray a blessing upon their lives. Lord, upon their marriages, upon their relationships with their children, over their work. God, over their ministry, that you would make it fruitful. I pray, Lord, for each person that's starting something. God, they have that that's something in their mind, something in their heart, and they're looking to start. God, I pray, especially if that is something that furthers your kingdom, I pray that you would just impress on their heart to find time to pray and invite your presence, your power into their lives, God, that they would be fruitful, that it would actually accomplish something good for your kingdom. Lord, I pray for those that are facing temptation uh, these days, God. Maybe it's reoccurring. Maybe it's a, uh, that, that sin which so easily besets us. I pray right now, Lord, that you would show them that way. You told us you would not allow us to be tempted beyond what we were able to bear, but with that temptation, you would provide a way to escape. And so I pray, let them see that way. Let them take that way in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, I pray especially uh, over the hearts and the minds of this people as the devil would come and attack and discourage us as we, we heard earlier, Lord God, or tempt us into to doing things that uh, just would lead us away from you. Help us to overcome. Lord, help us not to resist when you bring us into that, that wilderness time, but to rely on you for strength. In Jesus' name. Go with us the rest of this day, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming to Cornerstone today. God bless you. You are loved. If I didn't get a chance to greet you, come and find me real quick. I'd love to shake your hand and hear how you're doing. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.